Welcome to the Community of Hope Church podcast. Our church exists to interest disinterested people in Jesus Christ and then grow together into fully devoted followers of Him. So wherever you are, we hope you find this message helpful, practical, and applicable to your life. God bless. And so anyhow, all right, well grab your notes. We are in week four of our Lenten series called On the Journey, and we are talking about uh, through the series of Lent, through the season of Lent, we are talking about an important story that happens in Luke's gospel. It's one of uh, 10 post-resurrection stories. It's the most vivid. It's the most detailed. And we're using it as a story really to help us understand how it is that we can form a relationship with the living God and, and walk with God through all the seasons of life, through uh, all of the ordinary and all of the everyday, which is where most of us live, at the corner of ordinary and everyday, right? And so that's what we're doing right now, and I'm excited about this. We've never done this. We've gone through the whole season of Lent. We've just focused on one passage of Scripture, and I don't know. I appreciate the comments that some of you guys have sent in, and we're excited about this. We might try something like this again in the future, but we've been uh, all learning together what that looks like. And uh, these are some of the things we've been learning. We've, we've learned that, that God is often found in the small. He's found in the slow. He's found in the ordinary. We uh, took a moment a few weeks ago and we uh, looked at how God shows up when we're discouraged or when we're in despair. How many of you have ever been discouraged? How about Despair. I was in a lunch meeting Tuesday with a good friend in our church who serves on our lead team, and I got in my truck and started my truck up after lunch, and my engine exploded. Thank you. It was the weirdest experience, and I, I, I was able to get my truck home. I have a, a good friend of mine who's my neighbor. He's part of our church, too, and I went next door, and he knows all this stuff, and, and I said, hey, um, what do you think? And he, he did this thing, he walked around, he lifted the hood, and, and I, I said again, I said, what do you think? And he said, I think you're getting a different vehicle. <laughs> and so anyhow, so that's, you know, life just sort of shows up, doesn't it? And if you were with us last week, we took a moment to have a conversation about um, doubt, and how we navigate through seasons of doubt in our faith. And this morning what I want to do, we're going to pick up at another part of the story. We're going to go just a little bit further down into the story. And we're going to pick up on a part of the story uh, around a conversation that Jesus invites the, the two on the Emmaus Road to have. So we're going to let the Lord really sort of pick the, the conversation we're going to have today. I think you'll see it. It's pretty clear, but it's in Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read beginning at verse 25. So what I would encourage you to do, let's stand. This is our rhythm. Hobble to your feet if you can. And we're going to read Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 25. They, they have just uh, told Jesus about everything that's happened in Israel. And it's kind of awkward. They're, they're kind of they're saying, how do you not know all of this? And then Jesus, they still don't know it's Jesus yet. He turns to them, and this is what he says in verse 25. He said to them, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. 
For did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning then with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. And they uh, urged him strongly saying, hey, stay with us. For it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. And so this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated and we're going to continue. Now, think with me about this. Let's get into the story. If you were with us last week, they're walking along the road and they're talking about everything that they uh, had run into. Uh, everything that had happened in Jerusalem. This guy had been crucified. They, people were connecting it. Maybe he's a Messiah. Maybe he's not. There's information they have. There's information they don't have. There's misinformation swirling. There's all this stuff going on. And we use that as an opportunity to talk about doubt because there was confusion. And so uh, we, we talked about that. And, and, and a lot of us know what it is to be confused. I, I was thinking about this. Sometimes I liken it to this. Um, how many of y'all have a, a drawer or a space in your home that you call your junk drawer or your junk cabinet? Okay, you, pe- you got stuff in there that you don't know where to put anything else. You got to put it in there, right? I've got an old Yankees hat somebody gave me. I don't even know why I have it. I've got, I've got a, um, an FSU shirt in there. I clean the floor with it. <laughs> Just seeing if you're with me, all right? I, I have a friend of mine who said, I have a junk drawer. And he said, you know what I found in my junk drawer one time? I said, what? He said, a sandwich. <laughs> I was like, I'm never going to your house to eat. But anyhow. And sometimes if we're, if we're not careful, I think we can do the same thing with our faith. And we can... Um, we have this, this collection of stuff that feels religious, and it doesn't make sense. We have, we have good stuff in there. We have some things that we might remember from our childhood. We, there might be a Bible verse or two. We have stuff that we think's religious. It was actually a Hallmark card. It's not religious. We have weird ideas, so all this kind of confusing, quasi-religious stuff. If you love someone, set them free. If, if they come back, they were yours. If not, they never were. Who, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Okay? You know, like whatever it is, it shall be. What? Come on, y'all, right? We have all of that stuff. And um, so we get confused. Now, here's what Jesus does today. He takes that confusion and he invites them into a conversation about belief. And I want you to notice real carefully. Now, this is Jesus being Jesus. So let's, let's look at this verse where this shows up. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Now, first of all, that's, that's a little off-putting, isn't it? I mean, that's, you know, I mean, that's Jesus. Like, is Jesus in a bad mood? You know, I mean, this is like he's, this is the other side of the resurrection, and uh, I, when I was young in my faith, younger in my faith as an uh, early Christ follower, I had someone who was uh, mentoring me and talking to me, and they said to me one time, you should always pay particular attention to the things that, get, that gets Jesus' attention. 
So like if he ever is, sometimes the Bible says this, he was astonished at their faith. Or when we see that Jesus was angry. Or when we think about the story of the Garden of Gethsemane and it says he was grieved in his spirit so much that drops of blood formed on his forehead and fell to the ground. And my friend said, those are moments when you really want to pay attention. I think this is one of those moments. Jesus is inviting them into a conversation about belief, and he says to them these words, how foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. You ever thought about why it is that we're slow to believe? That belief just comes so hard for us. I've been giving some thought to this and doing some reading about it, and one of the things that um, is an interesting thing that one scholar I've been reading from uh, mentions is he said, um, perhaps maybe never more in history we are living in a time when we all seem to be in our culture addicted to certainty. And uh, I thought his reason for this even being a thing was fascinating to me because he said, um, we, lit, we are in a culture and part of a, a, a generation right now that wants empirical evidence for everything. We, want, we are the prove it to me generation. Like so we say something, we believe something, or we, we make some sort of assertion and people go, prove it. And, and, and what his reasoning behind this idea I thought was fascinating. He said, part of this is true, he said, I believe, because um, we are living at a time in history when some of our world systems seem to be going through an auto reset and trust seems to be low. You know, like when banks close or when the government wobbles or when there's things going on or when a leader falls. We just begin to say to ourselves, you know, I don't know that I can, I, I don't know that I can trust. And we become like, what was that famous speech Ronald Reagan said years ago? He said, I trust, but I verify what I trust. This is the generation that we're living in. Now, here's what I want to remind everybody whenever we talk about certainty. On this side of eternity with respect to your faith, certainty is actually not required, which is weird. Here's what is required faith. And if you were with us uh, a few weeks ago, we said, you know, remember Paul and his great observation about love in 1 Corinthians 13, and he finishes 1 Corinthians 13 by saying, there are three things that remain. You know them. You can say them with me. They are faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Another time when he was writing to the churches in Galatia, I believe an earlier time, he makes this observation in Galatians 5, 6. He says, really, notice, notice the exclusive nature of this. The only thing that counts is a faith that expresses itself through love. So certainty is not required. And in fact, when certainty is not possible, faith is still an option. And the unknown writer of the book of Hebrews, I think, doubles down on this truth one more time. I'm taking you somewhere here. And he writes, or she writes in Hebrews eleven six. without faith, it's impossible, actually, to please God. 
because anyone who comes to him must believe that God exists and that he absolutely rewards those who earnestly seek him. So once we get past the addiction to certainty and we set that aside and we set our sights on faith, I think we're tuned up now for a conversation about what belief actually looks like. And here's the thing, what kind of belief actually that every one of us in this room and every one of us online or listening to me later is actually striving for. And this is the kind of belief that Jesus is pointing to. And um, I've shared, I believe, before that um, most of us, when we think about the things we come to believe uh, those who study this sort of thing break it down into different areas, areas, and they talk about, first of all, what they call our, our public convictions. And these are the things that everybody expects us to believe, and we oftentimes feel pressured to admit to even if we don't believe them. That's what makes a moment like this super powerful, follow me, and super dangerous. And one of the things that when Beth and I were dreaming about, you know, I was doing doctoral work, we wanted to return to South Florida and felt a calling, really, just a strong sense of God's leading to plant a church. I I told Beth one evening, I said, you know, I I just, with all my heart, I, I wanted to be a church where people who are trying to believe and who are struggling to believe feel comfortable and welcome. Because when I was growing up, uh, my family always went to church. It was something we did, and, and we, we, my parents took us uh, out of devotion. This was very uh, authentic to them. But I remember a time as a, as a young boy when I became an adolescent where it just dawned on me one, one weekend, and I was in a Sunday school class, and, and I was listening to some friends make comments about things they believed that I knew they didn't believe. And I was challenged by that. And it's easy to do in church, by the way. And so the kind of belief that Jesus is aiming at Uh, when he talks to them and he challenges them, is not their public convictions. It's not even their private convictions. And their private convictions are things that we say we believe and we even think we believe them, but they're untested. I want to show you a fascinating picture. This is 1859. This is a guy by the name of Charles Blondin. And uh, Charles Blondin is uh, walking on a tightrope across the Niagara Falls. And uh, he did this, uh, as I understand it and read about it, uh, hundreds of times. And he, uh, it was so sensational that he drew actually large crowds on the American side. In fact, at one point, there were over 25,000 people watching him do this. This was before you had the internet and Netflix. So you went, you went to the 
Niagara Falls and watch people do stupid stuff. And so um, he is walking across um, the tightrope here, and you can see it. That's about 100, uh, we think between 180 and 210 feet above above the falls. And uh, he would say things like this. He would to rile up the crowd. He would go, how many of y'all think I could walk across this rope to get onto the other side? And they'd go, yes. And he'd go, how many of y'all think I could ride a bike across this rope to get to the other side? Yes. How many of y'all think I could pull a wheelbarrow across the other side on the rope? Yes. How many of y'all think I could put somebody in the wheelbarrow to get them to the other side? Yes. Who's volunteering? No. That's a public conviction. And here's what I want to tell you right now. All of us are in or will face circumstances in our lives for which real belief is required. That is not the moment you want to realize you're experiencing and your belief is a private conviction that has never been tested. We see the bumper stickers all the time. Life's unfair, and then you die. So we want to be careful about that. The kind of belief that Jesus is actually speaking about to these uh, two on the Emmaus Road is not their public conviction. It's not even their private conviction. It's this. It's their core convictions. And our core convictions are those things that we actually do believe. And what I want us to understand is that whenever the Bible speaks of belief in a positive way, it's always speaking of this. And some of us are wrestling right now because your belief has not yet become a core conviction. I want to show you a picture of a man. This is Justin Welby. He is the current Archbishop of Canterbury. Isn't that a title? wonder if I retire, I could be the Archbishop of, never mind. Um, and uh, our, uh, it's kind of fascinating um, because um, he is leading a church organization for which the church formed and started in 522 AD. I think he's the 105th Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, our church is 27 years old. I can't even believe it's 27 years old. So that's that's a that's an he's been there a you know a long time. He's been the this is the 105th Archbishop of Canterbury. Uh, they do a thing every year where the Archbishop remembers another Archbishop uh, by the name of last name of Dennett, who got into an argument with King Henry II back in the day. I think it was around 1122. And in a moment of anger, uh, King uh, Henry II said, said in, in, to in front of a group of people, uh, he said, how long am I going to have to put up with that priest and that bishop? And those that he said it to took it upon themselves to find the archbishop and kill him in, in, in the cathedral. And... Um, 
in a moment when uh, they came to get him, the archbishop, uh, rather than try to lock those who were coming at him outside of the doors because he had such deep conviction about people being allowed to come in the church, he told those who were with him, unlock the doors and let people in. They came in and they took his life. And so every single year, the archbishop uh, goes to this cathedral and he participates in a ritual where that scene is played out every single year so as to remind any archbishop there are some beliefs that are worth dying for. So what about us? What about our convictions? What about our beliefs? And, and how, do we, how is it that we grow our beliefs into convictions that we can literally, quite honestly, build our lives on top of? Because here's what I want, want you to know. I think that's the question in the room. When we're talking about belief, I really think that the question in the room is, Pastor Dale, how can I have the kind of belief that will hold when life is unfair, when doubt is high, and trust is low, and discouragement awaits us? Well, I started thinking about this, um, and I thought about two things. I thought about, first of all, what I've noticed just out of my own personal conviction has helped me more than anything else. And the other thing, before I tell you those three things, I, I want to I remind you, here's, here's what's important to know about this. Your belief, if you don't get it to a core conviction, it'll drift away. It'll go away. We're seeing it. Back in 2005, my family, it was the year that Beth's daddy turned 80. And so we flew out to Texas early at a different point in the year than we normally go in the summer. And we, we went out there to participate in, a, in a, uh, a surprise for him. So when it came to summer, uh, we, we needed to do something different for vacation. And I told Beth, I said, well, let's rent a cabin in North Carolina. We'll go up there, and that'll be fun. The girls were little. We'll take them with it. You know, of course, it'll be great. And so we, we did all that, and, and we just knocked around. I think we took the girls to Dollywood, and I, I remember all that. And I told them, because, you know, I'm, I'm living in a sorority in real time. I said, um, I, said I just want to do one thing that's adventurous, right? Famous last words. Can we just do one thing that's adventurous? And, and uh, so Beth finally acquiesced. And I looked on, online, and, and I found there was, a, there was this new company that opened up around the corner, and they were letting you do, um, they were like doing a, um, tubing down a river. And I thought, oh, this will be great. We'll go there. So I took the girls down. There was this little outpost right on the river, and, and I, I took the girls, and I said, we, we want to do this experience. I paid for it. The guy says, here, sign this piece of paper. That should have been my first I learned I'm signing my life away, you know, like. And uh, so then we, we get our inner tubes. We walk down to the water. I kid you not. Uh, Beth gets in the water first. She takes Haley with her. I turned around to get my inner tube. I turned around and Beth and Haley were gone. <laughs> like they disappeared. They were gone. We didn't see them for the rest of the, 
the, I, I kid you not, not an exaggeration. In fact, at one point, I don't even know how it happened, a flip-flop floated by us. And Shelly, who was very little, I'm holding on to her for dear life. She goes, that's mommy's shoe. And I, I lied. I said, it's not mommy's shoe. It just looks like mommy's shoe. And, 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 and it, was the, it was the weirdest, scariest experience. I don't know how we lived, lived it through. But here's the weird thing that, was, that happened in this moment. I'm not even making this up. The company was so new, they were tracking us with a photographer who was taking all these pictures, who then put them on billboards all over North Carolina. <laughs> and later in the summer, I started getting texts from people going, hey, curious, were you on a whitewater rafting thing in North Carolina? Because you're on a billboard. And I, I looked to try to find it. I'll have to bring it. I couldn't find it. But I wanted to tell you, this is the thing your faith will do if it's not a conviction. It'll drift away. Well, when I started thinking about what it is that's made a difference for my life, I want to point to three things. One is this, the place where you get your faith. One of the verses that I love, I want, I want you to see this verse, um, Every time I read it, I'm jealous about, of it. And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all of the scriptures concerning himself. Wouldn't you have liked to have been a fly on that wall? Here's Jesus explaining to them, Jesus. I, man, when I get to heaven, I'm going to look these folks up and say, give me the skinny on that, right? But here's the thing. You get your faith from somewhere, you better just check your source. It's not a Hallmark card. It's not just something that sounds great. These people were sitting at the feet of Jesus, learning from him. And I'll tell you what I've learned in my own life. I want Jesus first, and I want Jesus only. And once I do that, everything else can sort itself out. Can I give you another one that's made a difference in my own life? It's this one. The people I place around me. This has a greater impact on your faith than almost every single other thing, period. If you orient your life around people who are aiming their lives in the same direction you're aiming yours as a person of faith, as a child of God and a person of worth, that will become true of you. And if you don't, it will not. I talk about this from time to time. In two weeks, I'm going to take off again and be with my covenant group, group of friends. There they are. We've been together now since... uh, 1992, so here we are many years ago, here we are now, (laughs) Beth says, which one is you? I'm like, I don't know, which one do you want it to be, okay? Look at verses 28 and 29. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening. The day's almost over, so he went in to stay with them. Watch this. As they, 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 us, 
them. Sometimes when you read the Bible and it's a narrative story, you don't get expositional truth. Do this, don't do that. What you get is inferential truth and you got to look at it and see it. One of the things that talks, the Bible talks about over and over and over and over again is community. It's community. is why we talk about it so often. And then one other thing, right? It's not only um, where you get your faith from and who you place around you. It's lastly this, the truths I'm willing to practice. If you don't practice your faith, your faith will atrophy and go away. English theologian Nick Wolderstaff says it this way. He says, genuine faith is a footbridge that you don't know will hold you up over the chasm until you're forced to walk out onto it. Can I just be very clear about what you want? You want core conviction belief. The only thing that will hold you when life is unkind and unfair and indifferent and confusing and messed up and trust is low and anxiety is high is a kind of faith that is in your soul. And you can have it if you want it. Lord, I pray for all my friends. I pray that you will help us, God, um, not miss our moment in the lesson of these two having this exchange with Jesus. Would you use this space, O oh God, to remind us how important it is to lean fully in in a core convictional faith that our belief and our practice and our people all have a similarity, all have an alignment. And God, for those who right now feel like that's not possible, would you break through with a ray of hope and show them that it is? This we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. We're going to sing. You know, God, I just want to pray for us as uh, we finish these few weeks up prior to Easter. uh, When the church universal all around the world is going to begin now to focus on the final days leading to your death. The trial, the betrayal, the sell-off, all the things that transpired. And on this side of religious history, we know, Lord, you were working a plan of redemption all along. But God, I pray that you would remind us in this space that faith matters that there are things worth dying for and that, God, we would aspire to be the kinds of people that are representing your truth and your love and your deep conviction everywhere we go. So help us to that. I pray especially for any friend listening who's struggling. Make a way of healing and hope. This we pray in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Will you go in his mercy and in his grace and we'll see you next weekend.